0: Hello and welcome to A New and Ancient Story. This is a podcast, a series of conversations, interviews, and occasionally speeches dedicated to the transformation of self and society. The basic idea is that we're moving from a story of separation to a new story, new for the dominant culture at least, of interbeing. What that means will become apparent as you listen to this series. We explore things like technology, spirituality, agriculture, healing, economics, politics, ecology, relationships, education. I mean, pretty much everything that is undergoing a transition today as our old story nears collapse. If you want to engage these ideas more deeply, you can come to our website, charleseisenstein.net. All right. Hey, everybody, Charles Eisenstein here with CJ Hopkins, who's a political satirist playwright. He's the creator of a website that I just even love the name of called Consent Factory, (laughs) which is, I guess, uh, you know, a a play on on Noam Chomsky and also a a strong Orwellian sensibility around it. So uh, CJ, thanks for uh, joining me in this conversation.
1: It's a pleasure. Charles, thanks for having me on.
0: Uh, so I've been actually reading your work for at least a couple of years now. and um, like I've always I appreciate your often very humorous observations about the system of global capitalism and so forth. And in the last couple of years, as you know, all of a sudden, like people who I thought were deep allies have defaulted to this narrow public health orthodoxy. And then unlikely allies have sprung out of the woodwork who I wouldn't have expected um, to, to see things the way I do. So, Karen comment on that?
1: <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 it's really weird, isn't it? Um, you know, I, when I started this, uh, you know, I I, I I was a playwright, you know, almost exclusively for, you know, for most of my life, uh, you know, and uh, doing experimental theater in New York City, and then some stuff took off and, you know, doing it internationally. Uh, but you know, my world was really the, you know, I, I wouldn't even call it the leftist world. It was, you know, surrounded by liberals. Um, you know, that, that was my world. Uh you know, okay, I got involved in the uh, anti-globalization movement a little bit um, and, uh, you know, hung around with some anarchists and, and uh, did some demos and stuff against the WEF, you know, in the early 2000s and, and then uh, uh, was active, helped, you know, organize the uh, experiment, well, the theater community in New York City before the Iraq invasion. Uh, invasion, and uh, you know, but mostly my world was it was okay, liberal and and sort of leftist, and and you know, it's really nothing makes much sense anymore, does it? You know, it's it's uh, the current. I hate to use the labels. I hate to use the labels because what so many people think of as the left uh, these days, uh, yeah, has become this sort of authoritarian, quasi-totalitarian uh, uh, mass. And it's I, it's unrecognizable to me, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the same time, uh, I have a lot of readers that are you know, conservative or right-leaning um, as well. And I, you know, I, I'm sure I still disagree with them on all the things that I used to disagree with them on. Um, but uh, yeah, we find ourselves yeah. allied against you know the new normal or or whatever you want to call it um it's just a it's just a really weird time i i i've given up labeling myself and i've given up using the labels because i just i, I don't think that they mean anything anymore
0: right yeah i'm 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 always like hold on i thought the left was supposed to question authority and now all of a sudden if you question the cia or the the that big tech companies or big pharma all of a sudden like you're this you know trump supporting white supremacist yahoo it just doesn't make sense to me.
1: Matt, Matt Taibbi just uh, published a piece I think it was last night um or today about this you know uh, about uh, what's happened to the left and uh, liberals who are now, you know, just completely aligned with the CIA and the NSA and the whole, you know, military-industrial complex uh, that, in my opinion, pretty much runs the United States and just how bizarre that is. What a what a what a complete turnaround that is. Mm-hmm. You know, I started I started my political satire gig. Uh, Back in 2016, that's when I when I started the Consent Factory and started writing these uh, these satirical essays and not so satirical essays. You know, some of them are just straight commentary and and, and what have you. And I I, I did that uh, because I sensed this change coming. I I don't think it's it's just the new normal. It's not just the last couple of years. That we've seen this happen, it, it really started uh, with uh, uh, you know, Brexit and yes. and uh, and the, the entry of, of Donald Trump, you know, into the political scene. I'm sorry, I still can't get over the fact that it that it actually happened. It's it's. Uh, I collected a bunch of my essays in uh, the second volume of my Consent Factory Act essays is called "The War on Populism," right? And and that's really when I saw this uh, shift. Uh, starting uh, on the left and and watching leftists and liberals really align themselves with, uh, you know, whatever you want to call it. I call it, you know, a globo cap, the, you know, the global capitalist ruling establishment, however you want to try to define that. Right.
0: Yeah. I've, you know, I, I saw Brexit and I even, I was writing about that too, you know, at the, at the time Brexit and the Trump election as this kind of um, Th- this protest, this this defiance from a large segment of the population, like the fact that they would vote for this buffoon, <laughs> um, it, it just was evidence of their disaffection and dispossession, and and like lack of trust in the system. Like otherwise, why would they, <laughs> why would they vote for somebody whose very name? D- connotes the fool
1: you know yeah, it's, it- yeah. <clears throat> it's it's what it's what brought me out of my um, uh you know, hermetitude or whatever the word is you know hermeticism I was you know basically I was an author just keeping a low profile I wasn't on social media you know I wasn't really doing much publicly other than you know just letting my plays get produced and when this started to happen it's it, it really it caught my interest because I felt like uh, you know, and yes, I, I the, the name that I've used for Donald Trump most often in, in all of my essays is an ass clown. You know, I mean, yeah. you know, it's the fact I try to explain this to to Europeans over here. I try to explain to them what it actually means that Donald Trump got elected president of the United States. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. having lived in the in the same city with a guy for you know for for many years, it's just hard to describe. Anyway. I, I absolutely agree. I, I, what, what, what interested me about it is that I felt like it was a rupture in the simulation. You know, mostly uh, United States electoral politics um, are really, really well managed and nobody gets elected to high office that hasn't been vetted by, you know, the corporatocracy and, and there's, it, there's just no chance. And here was this rupture. It seemed to me that the ruling classes, they, they weren't ready for it. Nobody believed that it was actually going to happen. And then it did. And what excited me about it, I think I mentioned to somebody else, you know, I'm not a Donald Trump supporter, but maybe I'm a Donald Trump supporter supporter.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: It's what interested me about it is, yes, I took it as, uh, uh, you know, I don't know if you want me cursing on your podcast podcast. Uh, or not? It, you know, I just took it as, you know, just this big fuck you, you know, right. from from the American people who are not stupid, you know, uh, Americans, most working class Americans, you know, realize that electoral politics is basically theater. They don't have the influence that they're supposed to have. Um, it's not a functioning democracy. They, they they understand this, and here was an opportunity to really give the finger to the ruling classes. And they took it and they did it. And what fascinated me was watching the response of the establishment uh, to that rupture, which was just as brutal and, and, and predictable as I thought it would be.
0: Yeah. So I wanna, I wanna get a little bit into the um, the meat of your uh, recent writings. Um, there's a few themes. One, um, I'll just name some of the titles, uh, the COVIDian cult um, there's titles around the new normal, which has a very sinister air to it. Uh, and then there's the um, the stuff around totalitarianism. Do you wanna say a little bit about what you mean by the COVIDian cult? Yeah, that,
1: uh, that piece took off and it really resonated with a lot of people. And I think that it did uh, because basically Basically, as soon as this started, you know, I, I, I've been documenting and, and trying to push back on the new normal for it's well over 18 months now, right? Um, as soon as it started, I'm talking back in March of uh, 2020, one of the first things I did was I created this uh, incredibly long Twitter thread, just documenting. And I, I was just using mainstream media reports. But just documenting the rollout of what I see as, as a new form of totalitarianism, you know, um, uh, not really arguing about the virus or anything at all. Just documenting, okay, you know, it's a virtual, you know, uh, uh, martial law in France, and the police are, you know, you know, tracking down people who don't have permission to be outside, and you know, beating women in the street who are you know in who are outdoors without permission and their neighbors are are screaming you know curses and insults down from the balconies you know um, the robot dogs the you know the drones um, the immediate the lockdowns and yeah. you know, just the location
0: all of- tracking the censorship i mean like every single aspect of a totalitarian state all of a sudden is justified because of a virus and it's like, well, this isn't really totalitarianism because we actually need to do it because there's
1: this virus. Yeah, um, you know, I started I started tracking this stuff way back when, and so I've been doing it for you know 18 months from the very beginning, just watching it roll out. And I think I think the cult piece that I wrote, the comedian cult piece, really resonated with people. This was, I think, uh, in the fall of 2020 when I published it, and by that time people who, who hadn't converted, you know, who hadn't abandoned all their critical faculties, people who were just you know, absorbing what the corporate media was pumping out and, and making that their reality, people who were still critical of that and asking questions or challenging the official narrative um, by that time really felt like they were talking to people in a cult. Right, because at, at that time, even by then, rational argument had become impossible. You know, you know I, I had you know countless arguments online and, and a few in real life as well. You could you could present facts to people. You could you you could sit there and show them because the facts weren't hidden. You could show them. You know, oh, oh, okay, here's you know here's how they're defining a COVID case. Right. right you know it's sloppy it's loose it's anybody you know it's, it's not even sick people just you know people who've been tested positive you know, or tested positive within 28 days or whatever it was You say okay so they're they're that's how they're defining a covid case you know never mind the the you know unsuitability of the pcr test to begin with right and so okay so now look at how they're defining covid hospitalizations and so on, and COVID deaths, and and oh, let's take a look at age-adjusted, you know, mortality rates for you know, right. most of twenty. You could present people the new normal cycle. You could present them with all of the facts, and their reaction would be not to not to argue against the facts because you can't really. I'm presenting them with facts from their own narrative. This is their own data, and they would respond. Like cult members, their, their their brains would sort of short circuit and they would start shouting, you know, well, I know somebody who died. And, you know, people, and why don't you go to a ICU and look at someone who's suffocating to death? And, and it was just this incredibly irrational cult-like response to any attempt to have a dialogue or to challenge anything. And I think a lot of people were experiencing that in their daily lives, you know, in their, in their with friendships and colleagues and in their families, and they read the cult piece and said, "Yeah, that's what this feels like."
0: Yeah, yeah, and I mean, another aspect of a cult is that is that people in the cult are not supposed to associate with people outside of the cult. Yeah, one way this has shown up is I just recently sent an article to somebody, um, and it happened to be on the Defender, you know, Robert F. Kennedy Jr.'s site. And like the guy would not actually respond to the content of it. He only responded to the source of it. Like this is a verboten source. Like this is one of the unclean. This is not one of the sanctified brethren. This is like, you know, outside the acceptable realm of human beings and information. And so, yeah, basically the filter only allows in information that conforms to the narrative to the official ideology of the cult.
1: This is what I've been trying to do with uh, uh, the cult pieces. I, I wrote a couple of follow-ups. Uh, you know, I, I think I just recently published a cavidian called Part Three, mm-hmm. and I've been trying to to kind of track this mentality and. And present it uh, again. You know, bringing up uh, the Defender is uh, is a perfect example. Um, you know, it's the Defender. Maybe you you know maybe you disagree with uh, uh, with RFK. You know, maybe you've disagreed with him over the years. Maybe uh, you think that uh, the Defender is you know a you know, conspiracy theory magazine. It's still there's nothing that prevents you from actually addressing whatever information is, is being presented in that magazine. And if it's wrong, then debunk it. <clears throat> if it's wrong, refute it, right? But what you described is is absolutely accurate. It's it's this unwillingness to even address, you know, anything. It's it's magazines, people, uh, types of arguments have all been branded, you know, have all been branded. I, you know, I I think of the the suppressive persons in uh, in the, in Scientology. Uh-huh. You know, and you know, basically, anyone who is criticizing the cult becomes an enemy, you know, and a threat in Scientology. They're called suppressive persons, right? And basically, you don't engage with them. You you shut them up, and you ostracize them, and you and you shun them, you know. Um, and uh, you know, the latest piece I wrote, you, you you purge them from society, basically. Right.
0: Right, and and so this illuminates a parallel between a religious cult and a totalitarian society, which has the same phenomena of purges and, and, you know, excommunication. I mean, it's in the church, right? Ostracism, um, silencing. Yeah. And this is like a a deep pattern in humanity, which I, you know, that's where I, I made the
1: connection with René Girard and mob mentality and so forth. I just wanted to say thanks because you reminded me of what my point was when I started talking yeah. about, uh, you know, the stuff rolling out way back in March. You know, the, what I was doing, what, what I am doing um, in the Covidian cult pieces, basically, is I'm saying, okay, what I saw being rolled out in the spring of 2020 was a new type of totalitarianism. And in my view, you know, a cult is, is a microcosm. Of totalitarianism, they're, 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 the machines function the same way, or, or rather to turn it around, what totalitarianism is, is, is a cult writ large, you know, a cult on a societal scale. You know, and, and you can look at cults in different phases. They're not they're not all you know, in, in the same phase of development, you know. But if if you look at at advanced cults that have really drifted into authoritarianism. And, and what have you. You can see the same machine at work in mm-hmm. in those subcultures that you see in totalitarianism on a societal scale. Yeah, yeah. so thanks that was that's really the point of those uh, Covidian cult pieces. It's not to call people names. It's it's to try it's to try to understand how this machine, how this organism works. Mm-hmm. You know, and sometimes it's a lot easier to see it in the microcosm. and then extrapolate it, you know, into the larger model. Right.
0: Yeah. And like Nazi Germany had a very strong cult-like character. Yeah. I'm not saying that it's just like Nazi Germany or what's happening now is as bad as what's happening, but similar psychic forces are at work and similar social dynamics are at work. And it hasn't gotten to that point yet, but it could, if we don't do something about it, and, and maybe this is
1: a question that I'd like to explore with you, like what do we do about it? Yeah. Let me try to talk a little bit about some of the similarities and the differences first. And, and then maybe we can get into what yeah. um, we do about it. Because I think the one depends on the other. Um, a point that I've tried to make in my pieces, and uh, new normals are just horrified and <laughs> won't address it at all. Um, and it's something that you got, you experienced it yourself after you wrote your uh, mor- uh, uh, morality pieces. Um, you know, it's, it's not you know, the new normal. When I say it's a new form of totalitarianism, I mean it's a new form, it's not the old form. You know, uh, you need to understand history a little bit and the history of politics a little bit and you know, the development. It, if you look at 20th century totalitarianism, in, in one way of looking at it, not the only way, but one way of looking at it is you, you might look at it as the last gasp of despotic systems trying to push back, you know, a reactionary last gasp against the development of global capitalism. All right. Mm-hmm. What the my shtick that I keep repeating, and I because I want people to think about it, is, you know, for the last 30 years or so we've been living in a new world and a new world that is it's really something has happened that is new it's the first time in human history with the, we're living in a world that is dominated that is ruled by a single ideological system right and that system is global capitalism Right. There is no more outside enemy. When the Soviet Union fell apart, you know, Marxist ideology collapsed. You know, yes, there are plenty of Marxists and socialists running around, but the world is governed and runs according to this one single ideology. Right? That ideology is not a despotic ideology. Right. The Nazis, the Italian fascists, you know, uh, the, the Stali- Stalinism, you know, they didn't have to. And it wasn't in their interest to hide their authoritarianism. Right. They, they advertised it. You know, it's jackboots and big banners and, you know, murals on the buildings. And, you know, and they announced it. It's yes, we are we are authoritarians and and we are right and this is the way it's going to work. Global capitalism can't function that way. It really can't function with that type of open, blatant authoritarianism. And that's why it's so fascinating to me if I wasn't so angry and scared about what's happening, it would be fascinating in an academic sense um, because I, I really feel like it is a new form of totalitarianism yes, a lot of the similarities, a lot of similarities with past forms, but also some fundamental uh, differences.
0: Yeah. So, you know, I'm I'm also feeling like a sense of urgency uh, to really be practical in our current situation, even though yeah. I'm also tempted to maybe even debate you about about some of these historical things like because oh, yeah. I mean a lot of the 1930s 1940s totalitarianism was done in the name of the worker um the dictatorship of the proletariat you know even Hitler it was national socialism and he would go up you know and, and make speeches about how he loved the worker and everything I don't know that would be a conversation but I would rather talk about um I, I think that right, more, more salient right now are the, are the similarities. I guess another difference is that today there's no single personality that's the focal point of the cult, as there was under Mussolini, Hitler, Stalin, Mao. I mean, this, that's a huge difference. And it causes people to, to like not be able to see the fascistic nature of what's happening. It's not just totalitarian, it's also fascistic um in the sense of a merger of of corporate and political power and many other ways yeah so people don't see it as easily because of the differences
1: the superficial differences with with previous forms of totalitarianism well it, the differences they aren't so superficial you 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 mentioned a, a rather prominent difference isn't it? no no dictator Right. Yeah, there, there's no dictator. There's no, you know, where's the central authority? You know, it's um, in my pieces uh, and it drives, it drives uh, some of my readers crazy. You know, I, I keep referring to Globocap. Uh, you know, Catherine Austin Fitz calls it Mr. Global. Um, you know, why do we have these, these funny names that we use? Because you can't even identify the locus of power. You know where right. is it? Is it is it Klaus Schwab and Bill Gates? Are they sitting on on Bill's yacht? You know, you know, planning the you know domination of the world. You know, no. You know, the the point I keep making is you could you could replace all of the people who are you know at the so called controls of the machine, and the machine would just fill those roles with somebody else. That's right. You know? They're they're functionaries no. of the machine. So no, dic- no, no dictator. Also, the other question I thought is what? Is, what's the ideology? You know, the Nazis had a you know, they had a real clear ideology. You know, the, the, the Italian fascists clear ideology. You know, Stalinism, absolutely clear ideology. And this is what I mean by the open authoritarianism is that here's our ideology. We wrote it down in a book. <laughs> We're gonna so, will we'll paint it on the wall. You know, and I everyone's gonna, ideology.
0: I think there yep. is an ideology. It's the ideology Help of me progress. me What is it? It's the ideology of progress, the ideology of technology, and the ideology of control. It's the ideology that, that paints a picture of human advancement that says that once we have domesticated the wild, tracked and labeled and measured every single thing in the universe, at least on Earth, then we can rationally administer society to maximize the collective utility. It's the, the dream of Descartes and Jeremy Bentham, uh, even Plato come to fruition. And of course we should have more and more control because we're, we're the good guys. We care about humanity and, and, and we're gonna, like that, that's I think the ideology. It's partly the ideology of science, even down to that level, which says that quantity is what is real and that everything can be quantified. Everything can be measured. Like It's a very deep ideology. It's not so explicit as it was, you know, uh, under the uh, Bolsheviks and the uh, Nazis. But I think there is an ideology. It's a religious ideology. It goes down to the level of metaphysics. What's real? What is a human being for? Uh, it's, it's, it's a mythology, I would say, even more than an ideology.
1: And, and it's something that is leading you to write, you know, numerous essays exploring it, and me to write numerous essays exploring it, and other people to, you know, try to start articulating it. Um, and what, what I'm trying to point out is, you know, try to encapsulate everything that you just said so that you can fit it onto, a, you know, a slogan, like past totalitarian regimes, it it doesn't work. There's the slogan, <laughs> safety first. There you, there you go. There are a number of us, I think, that are exploring it and trying to articulate it as an ideology. Yeah. Um, I wrote my dystopian novel is basically a one big attempt uh, to paint some of it, you know, in, in entertaining fiction form. Um, I was smiling when you were talking uh, be, because, yes, I, I think this obsession with control is very much at the heart of it. And, and I hope we can talk more about that in a little bit. Um, but I really, you know, I insist on this difference. Uh, in my essays recently, I've been, I, I, I put it this way yeah, you know, when you are uh, Nazi Germany, yeah, you know, when you're fascist uh, Italy, and you have an ideology, yeah. You know, That ideology is standing in contrast to the other ideologies or the other major ideology. You need to be able to articulate it. It needs to be clear. Here's our ideology versus their ideology, all right? When you are a global hegemon, when you're a global ideological hegemon, like global capitalism is and has been for the past 30 years or so, you do not need an ideology anymore because there is no competing ideology. Every other competing ideology has been discredited, right? Or it has been commodified and, you know, turned into a niche market. You know, it's you know, whatever. Great. Go to church on Sunday, go to the mosque, you know, go to synagogue, whatever. Do your yoga. It, it, You know, it. that's fine. As long as you live according to the rules of global capitalism, right? You start trying to live according to some other value system and, you know, we will correct you, <laughs> right so when you're a global ideological hegemon you don't need an ideology anymore and actually having an ideology becomes counterproductive because what you have instead of ideology is reality right everything that you were just talking about you know science uh, you know the enlightenment rationality the pursuit of you know fact and truth and what have you this is this is in essence the ideology of global capitalism, it's a non-ideology ideology, right? What you try to—if you try to argue with the new normals, for example, about some of the facts, you know, surrounding the you know the, the pandemic—what um, you will you will get is you know it's science. You know, what are you a science denier? You know, right. it's, you know when your ideology is science is reality you're beyond argument. How can you argue? Who argues with reality? You know, insane people. Right? Right. So Yeah.
0: I mean, so we could call it an implicit ideology as, expo- as, as opposed to the more explicit ideologies of classic totalitarians. Let, let's move on to, uh, there's a few other things like the obsession with control that we just touched on. And then I really want to also go into your thoughts about Creating friction for the machine, and in my language, it's about breaking the spell cast by mob psychology. If you don't mind to go that direction,
1: not at all. As as hoping we can get a little bit more philosophical about control, really. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, you brought it up, and I and I know it's it's. Uh, well, I think um, I'm not familiar enough with your work to you know to say that definitively, but it seems like it's uh, uh, one of your main interest uh, areas of interest you know, is, is this obsession with control, this impulse towards control. It's the way I described it to somebody the other day, you know, I'm just talking, I'm talking, I don't know what ontology, you know, you, you, you walk into a garden, right. And you've never seen it before. You know, what is it? Is it a playground or is it a crime scene? Mm -hmm. Right. And it seems that the world we're living in walked in and said, oh, this is a crime scene. You know, something terrible has happened here. You know, what a, what a horrible, horrible place, you know, to be sentenced to. You know, it's how can we fix this? You know, how can we correct this horrible mistake or this crime that has been committed, this this fundamental uh, impulse, uh, Charles, that, that says, you know, people are a mess, people are a mistake, everything is screwed up, you know, everything is chaos, nature needs to be controlled, people need to be controlled, everything needs to be basically controlled by us, you know, right. It, it, where does this come from you know to me you know this this comes from a radical existential fear you know it comes from radical existential fear you you how you approach the world how you approach other people how you approach society i've i've read some of your views and i've seen uh, some of your pieces and it seems to me like a lot of what you you talk about uh, a lot is how do we regard each other what do we see when we look at someone else, you know, or, or do we see someone who's, you know, a potential threat who needs to be dealt with, you know, or, or is this, is this our neighbor, you know, or someone that we can share with someone we can cooperate with.
0: In a fully monetized, marketized economy, everybody is a potential threat that needs to be dealt with. Yes, like Our economy is set it up that way. Everybody is in, I mean, economic ideology says this explicitly, human beings are, motivated to rat to maximize rational self-interest so and that is a common experience everybody's trying to get the best deal if you get a spam in your inbox it's not actually somebody who is reaching out from you know the beyond who wants to do something nice for you like you always have to be on guard this is what rudolf steiner called the war of each against all and living in a market economy which has been a, a trend i mean the last several thousand years has been a gradual progression away from community, away from gift culture toward monetized. So it's like, there's it's not just like someone had some dumb ideological idea and everybody became enamored of it. I mean, this is a a vast historical social process that has rendered us alone. And it's connected also with domestication and industrialization that has conditioned us to see the world also in mechanical terms and as something to be domesticated and to not see the intelligence that is in nature and in materiality. So I think that that this existential crisis you're talking about, like this aloneness, we've rendered ourselves alone through uh, through technology, through economy, through the breakdown of community, the breakdown of connection. And when you are disconnected, and when you see the world as a random melee of force and mass, meaningless atoms and void, then of course you want to impose the intelligence onto the world that you think is lacking there, and to control all of these hostile competitors who have been rendered, and it's not that there's no competition in nature and no predation or anything like that, but this has become a totalizing lens. Therefore, progress means that you would become better and better able to control and dominate everything outside of you, outside of your separate self. So, so this, the, like the big picture that I'm seeing is that this ideology and this mythology of the human being and what progress is and what our destiny is, the destiny of total control someday down to the nano level, down to the genetic level. Yeah, more progress. Things will be even better like this whole way of thinking has stopped delivering the benefits that it promised. <laughs> I mean, do you, you're like my age, right? I mean, do you remember like in the seventies, how 60, awesome yeah. the future was going to be? Yeah. I mean, come on, by the year 2000, we were supposed to be in technological paradise. We were yeah. the, the Disease was supposed to be a thing of the past by now. It yeah. isn't working. And so I think that, that this whole ideology now is, is, falling apart and, and in its death throes, reaching new extremes. Mm. And that's like my hopeful version of things. Like (laughs) on the other hand, I also don't think that it's going to end by itself just because of its own internal processes. I think that, that you and I and everybody listening to this has a role to say enough. We do not resonate with this and we are stepping into a I call it a new story, a new and ancient story uh, that is no longer about progress equals more control and no longer is ignorant of the um, intelligence in the world outside of the human being and outside of human civilization.
1: Yes, I, 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 I might frame a few things a little bit differently, but basically, yes, uh, you know, I mean, the, the the way that I look at it is if this is the view, you know, that, that, that we walked into existence in history and civilization with, you know, of, uh, you know, Jesus, let's control everything because it's all scary as hell and there are threats everywhere and what have you. Um, where we are now seems a, kind of just a really logical, uh, development uh, you know I, I kind of see not that we did it to ourselves with the world that we created but basically we created the world that expressed or manifested you know our view you know our 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 Perspective, and and here it is, you know, what what is what is the end what is the end stage of this of this impulse of this of this drive, you know, to control? Well, it is global totalitarianism. Yeah, <laughs> you know, if you look at the development of you know, just competing systems, competing ideologies, uh, you know, through history, if I had time and, and, and was a better researcher, I could write the book and wh- you watch the development of systems bringing us to the point where we are. Um, and, you know, I, 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 I repeat this over and over again because I, I, I just think it's one of the most important things people can do to come to terms with the fact, hey, about 30 years ago, yeah, about we really, we entered a new phase, You know, we finally, the entire world is dominated by one ideological system. There's one reality. That's it. There is no outside enemy anymore. Every threat now is an internal threat. It's an insurgency. It's this one (laughs) ideological system dominating the entire planet. All that it has left to do right? All that it has left to do is go around inside of its own system, looking for deviance to try to wipe out, you know, any sort of deviance or challenge or insurgency coming from inside. Let's wipe this out until, and I believe it's impossible, but until we can create absolute ideological uniformity (laughs) in the entire world. Basically, we've replaced you know, life with our, you know, artificial man-made, you know, ideologically uniform version of it. You know, I used to, I forget where I uh, used it in one of my pieces, but I I described it as our attempt, uh, you know, to create uh, a prison with the exact dimensions of the physical universe.
0: (laughs) Yes. it's, how could it go anywhere I mean yeah that's that I don't eat
1: <laughs> exactly you know the, the yeah. this obsession with the girl. I don't think that it succeeds. I mean, just because I'm basically my approach to life is affirmative and, and, and I have some kind of weird faith in life in people in, in, in all forms of life. And I don't think it succeeds. I think it, it, it is, it is something that has to implode. And I think what you're talking about, I'm getting back to your, I'm trying to get back to your question, you know, and give you a halfway rational discussion here. I don't think it's a matter of stopping it. I don't know if we can stop it, but I think what's happening, um, what you were talking about, represents part of it. I think what's happening about is just like any other form that comes into being, right? The seeds of the death of that form are built into it,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and as that form as that form achieves its ultimate, you know, uh, expression, the seeds of its death are also developing already inside of it, and are at work taking it apart, blowing it apart, and ultimately destroying it and making way for whatever other forms are going to evolve. That's the crazy faith that I have. I don't think that we can stop or push back on whatever you want to call it, global, global capitalism, this 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 thing. But I think many of us, many of us are are feeding these 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 seeds that eventually lead to what comes next. I hope that makes sense.
0: Yeah, yeah. Like I see among these seeds you're talking about is is you and, right. and, and me. Because and surely you're not saying we can't stop it. So don't try to resist the processes at work. Right. Like the 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 farther that it pushes the towards the limits of totalitarian control, the more the principle of life within us. Cause it is anti-life The yes. principles of the principle of life in us, in us, uh, rebels. Yes. And, and we're like, no, I'm just not going to accept that. Like, I don't care what your evidence is that children should be. I saw this photograph of children in a daycare center, each with a six, you know, a two meter circle around them and they're masked and they are not allowed out of their little circle. Like, I'm like, no. And that no, that swells in intensity as the lockdown intensifies, that is one of those seeds. So I want to just, yeah, yeah, I can go along with what you're saying, but I want to validate the indignation, you know, the, the, the protest, the resistance.
1: And, and the anger. You're, you're absolutely right. And I, you know, I made a decision early in this, in, in this whole, you know, uh, in the rollout of the new normal, I made a decision uh, pretty early, uh, which was to respond to a lot of what I was getting from people, friends, colleagues, people who were, you know, converting to the new normal and and starting to, uh, uh, you know, scold me and 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 uh, lecture me and accuse me of, you know, things being a conspiracy theorist or you know whatever because of this, I made a decision way back in the beginning to respond with anger, you know, not to, not to you know, adopt a, you know, more of a, you know, a reasonable academic mode and try to rationally argue with them. Um, I, I, I tried to make it clear and I've, I've written it and, I, and I've said it, it's like, you no, know, you're not talking to the new normals now. I say, you, you're not arguing with me. You're not trying to convince me of something. You know, what you're doing is an aggressive attack you're attacking me and I'm going to respond to you like a person who is being attacked, right? You know, you are, you are aligned, you are aligned with the most powerful you know, political force in human history, the most powerful propaganda machine in human history. And you are parroting that and, and, and uh, repeating that and disseminating that and, and amplifying that at me it's not a rational discussion you know i'm going to respond with anger and the reason that i'm going to do that is because that is the human response you know that is the human response you are part of a machine that is attacking me and i am going to let you hear my anger and i'm going to make it clear to you how what my perspective is on what's happening and again charles this is one of those differences between the totalitarian forms it's the, the new normals are not coming at us with jackboots and concentration camps and taking us out into the woods and you know making us dig ditches and shooting ourselves you know that's and they won't that is not going to happen you know i've called it pathologized totalitarianism And it is a mindfuck it's a gaslighting operation. Um, again, plugging it back in into the way that cults work. It's it's not about physically dominating people and physically oppressing people. It's about it, it's about manipulating and mindfucking people. Is what it's about. Mm-hmm. In this way, burying the violence of it. You know and part of, I really am trying to address <laughs> what you talked about. I, I'm doing it in a roundabout way. No, this but is I'll, really
0: this is very very uh, yeah very interesting. Get,
1: yeah, keep going. I'll get yeah. back to it. You know, I'll get back to it. You're talking about the seeds, and yes, we are those seeds, and it's not just us. You know, the the, the these talking heads that we are. You know, on 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 videos, but millions of people. All over the planet, you know, in oh, Italy, yeah, like airline pilots, you know, airline pilots in, and stuff. In, and in Italy, they're crippling, you know. There there there's a massive strikes going on in Italy. The people, you know, been out hundreds of thousands in the streets all over France for months. You know, millions and millions of people are saying, you know, no, you know, we are we are human beings. We, you know, you know, yes, perhaps, you know, living in global capitalist society was not ideal before, but we are not ready to go to this new totalitarian phase and we are angry and we are going to push back. And all of this, you know, this is not what I mean when I say that trying to stop it won't work. You know, I want, I want to throw a monkey wrench into this phase of it very, very badly. And I believe we are doing that and I believe it's going to work. I expect GloboCAP to respond to that and to continue along its trajectory. That's what I meant. When I said, I don't think we can stop it, I'm talking about in the longest, in the longest term. Mm-hmm. Right. It doesn't, it doesn't mean we shouldn't throw monkey wrenches into each step of its progression.
0: Mm-hmm. As you were speaking, I was reflecting on my responses, you know, since this whole thing started, uh, I've been rather inconsistent sometimes, you know, standing in, in my anger other times, like really like putting everything on the table. Okay. Maybe they're right. Like the people criticizing me, you know, like maybe I am literally killing people. How do I know that uh, what I believe to be true is actually true? how much of this is coming from a reflexive anti-authoritarian defiance that might have, you know, psychological origins and my relationship with my father or whatever, you know, like, am I, am I the people I accuse of or I believe to not be fully looking at the evidence and having cognitive biases and ideological filters, am I doing that too? When information comes along that resonates with what I believe, do I scrutinize it? the way I scrutinize information that comes along that contradicts what I believe. I've had whole months and months at a time where I've barely written anything because I'm in this deep process of, well, how do I know that I'm, I'm right here? And truly I'm not right about everything. So, So how do I, like, where is my anger coming from? Like there are certain things that I was inclined to believe at the beginning That I ended up saying, no, 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 that actually, like, the dominant narrative on this is probably right. And other things where I've become much even more convinced that the dominant narrative is wrong. So I, I, the other thing about standing in the anger is that one of the patterns of the old system is to translate anger into blame and hate and this, this is such a reflex that when you or I write about totalitarianism, cult behavior, mob morality, and so forth, people take it as an accusation. Oh, you're saying I'm in a mob, you're saying I'm in a cult, you're saying I'm a totalitarian. Or, or and it also is translated into Bill Gates as this you know gibbering fiend plotting to plotting genocide. I mean, maybe he is, but if he, but, but the perception that he is fits so much into the milieu that hate lays out that I'm quite suspicious of the, you know, evil Illuminati conspiracy theories. Like it's just a little bit too psychologically convenient and a little bit too resonant with the story of us versus them and safety through control, destroying the bad guys, destroying the virus, enforcing the perimeter, uh, You know, the whole mentality of control. So I've just long story short, that has in a way tempered my anger and on some occasions actually disconnected me from an authentic, an authentic anger. Um, And I don't know, this is still like a journey in progress. Maybe, I don't know, I'm just putting that out there if you have a, a comment about all that.
1: Sure. I've got several comments (laughs) about it. You know, I just, I'm listening to you and I just identify with uh, your experience uh, a lot. Of course, all of our personal history and uh, everything, you know, is mixed up into our anger, into our response. You know, why are, I've had people, you know, write to me and ask, you know, why are we the ones pushing back against this? And, you know, so many people are not, you know, uh, there is no you know, pure you know, person who can respond to what's going on you know, separate from their own personal histories and psychological makeups and their baggage and the, their karma and everything that they're carrying around. You know, I, I tend to, I'll tell you the way that Ed, um, part of why I was kind of happy to talk uh, to you, Charles, is that, is, is that my impression is you're into all of this stuff. And a lot of people that I talk to and do interviews with aren't. My view, the way I look at the world is I can't help it. I'm a theater person. And in one sense, I look at it as a big theater performance. And I've been cast in this theater performance as me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? And it wasn't a mistake. The casting director knew what she was doing. <laughs> right? I'm in the performance for a reason. I am who I am, what I am for a reason right? It's, it's not an accident. You know, yes, my anger comes from all of the places that it comes and it's mixed up with all of the things that it's, you know, in every, every political, you know, book that I've ever read and every, you know, weird gaslighting experience I've ever had. And it's all mixed up together in a bucket and I'm me and I've been cast in this role and here comes the new normal. And I trust my response. I trust my response. I don't claim to be, you know, pure or right, you know, uh, but this is my response. It's not about being right, mm-hmm. you know. Um, it's it's funny, I at some point I made things real simple for myself um, and I said, I don't wanna argue about the details of the virus anymore, the vaccines or the PCR tests or anything else. At some point I made, I, I made it real simple and I said, look, even if you take the official narrative uh, at face value, right? Take it on its own terms at face value, right? There is nothing about this virus, this pandemic, whatever you want to call it, nothing that remotely justifies what is being done to society and to people. And it's that simple, right? I don't I don't care what anybody, I don't care how many times anybody's been vaccinated. I don't care what they believe about the origins of the virus. Anything. What I'm opposing is the implementation, the imposition of this new form of totalitarianism on society. And that's where my anger comes from. You know, it's, it's very simple. I can't go buy, you know, uh, it, people have it a lot worse. And in, in, in France, you know, I, uh, yeah, you can't really go anywhere. I can walk around without a mask here. Uh, but in Germany, I, if I want to go in and buy groceries, I have to put a mask on. I have to put a little hospital mask on and pretend that, you know, that it's going to stop viruses and that the whole world is being attacked. I have to do this. I have to participate in this theater performance right? It's not a choice. It's not a choice. I tried not doing it. And they called the police and three right. German, three German <laughs> police officers in body armor came and took me out of the store, right? It's, right. This is a physical conflict, right? right. this is, It's, it's a, a new form of totalitarianism is being imposed on us. It's being imposed by force. Yep. And my role- in the performance is to react to that imposition with anger, you know? And yes, I've, I've theorized it and extrapolated from it and, and justified it uh, by saying, well, I want to make that conflict visible. And this gets back to what we were talking about, about the difference between forms. And it gets to the roots of classic, you know, nonviolent civil disobedience. Um, which is about, I want to make this conflict visible. Everything isn't fine. Everything isn't normal. You know, if I don't conform to this ideology, police, armed police will come and make me do it. And I want people to see that. I want it in their faces, right? I want people to have to decide, do I conform to this thing? Or is my role in the big theater performance to resist it, to push back against it? Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: No, that's, that's really beautiful. And it is also kind of where I came to. Like, for one thing, I will never know for sure if I'm quote right. So, what do I navigate by? Like, I mean, I've been down these rabbit holes the vaccine, the PCR tests, you know, like all this stuff. Like, you can get into the most Picayune details and PhD level science, and the PhDs don't even agree necessarily. So, what makes me think that I'm going to find certainty? through that process. So eventually, I'm like, sooner or later, I just have to choose what belief resonates, because a state of belief is a state of being, like, who am I? What was I born to do? And to like, accept who I am, and right or wrong, this is the role that I'm going to play. This is my makeup. And for me, if, if it is a matter of, you know, do we lock kids indoors all the time for their safety, or even granting, as you were saying, granting the mainstream narrative that people are going to die. I mean, this is like almost scary to say in public, but I think it's worth higher mortality if people can actually live a life of seeing smiles and having hugs and gathering in person. A friend of mine, um, Lauren Buckley, says, if you could save your life, if the only way to save your life was to for the entire planet never to hug again would you do it would you impose that on the rest of the planet and most people would say no but collectively we are making that decision so it comes down to you know this whole thing safety first which has led me to adopt the burning man slogan safety third
1: um, <laughs> i didn't know that was a safety secret. third yeah
0: it's like <laughs> i mean it's not like you know you're it's not like you're reckless, you know, like you don't just disregard safety, but it's not, you don't live your life as if the goal of life was to survive it.
1: You know, it's given, important, it's,
0: it's third. When I don't know what first and second are, but it's not safety. <laughs>
1: given, yeah, given, the, given the fact that we are all going to die in the end, it, if I can, it, I, uh, not to be an asshole, but let me, can I point out a couple of things? And it's not about, it's not about you, it's about all of us. If you think I was listening to you, you're talking about going down those rabbit holes, you know, and I yeah. went some, I went down a bunch of them too in the beginning and what have you. And think about, you know, why did we do that? You and I, why did we do that? It? It's because we, like the rest of us, we like the rest of us, are we are conditioned to feel like, okay, if we're going to make a strong argument against the majority, we had better have facts we had better have some science we'd better be able to prove it you know with science and with facts what i'm getting back to is the whole you know non ideology ideology of global capitalism it's and and i'm tying it into my my reaction it's like i'm not allowed i'm not allowed to be angry you know at my grocery store manager and those three armed cops in their body armor who me out of the store, right? I'm not allowed to be angry with them unless I can, you know, uh, present a scientifically, you know, peer-reviewed, defensible argument. It's no, right. it's not about that. It's, it, it's about you are, you are doing this, you are doing this physically with force to society and to me and to here is my reaction. And here is my human honest reaction to the aggression that is being directed at me. Yes, of course, if it were an actual, you know, black plague, and people were dropping dead in the streets, you know, of course, you know, but frankly, if that's were, if that was what was happening, we wouldn't be having this conversation. You know, you know, we'd all be desperately trying to survive and doing whatever. You know, what I'm getting at, Charles, is we, how we have all been conditioned to feel like we're not allowed to
0: push back. It's like putting trusting an authority outside yourself. And, and maybe if the authority outside yourself was enlightened and impartial, that would be at least arguably something to do. But then when you look into the whole system by which facts are produced, the systemic biases of the system of knowledge production, uh, which is of course, deeply tied into financial interests, et cetera, et cetera, and ideologies. I mean, you know, then all the more, is it necessary to go back to the body? And even if it were the black plague and you're getting dragged out of the store by cops and body, body armor, maybe you still get angry. And maybe that anger is an important data point where those cops and that store manager, like they had an experience when they dragged you out of that store. And that sits in them with all the other experiences. And now if there are other experiences where people dropping dead in the streets, then your anger, you know, would be easily dismissed by them. But whether your anger is right or wrong, it is a data point that we can trust people with. Like, people need to know, like, if everyone is just all um, compliant, you know, and docile as they're being shipped off to the concentration camps, then you're not getting the data point that you are actually violate, violating somebody's body sovereignty.
1: Yeah, I understand. I, I, I do think, though, fundamentally, if we were experiencing a pandemic that was as devastating as, you know, or, you know Black plagues, and, and if it was this threatening... It wouldn't require the intense, massive propaganda campaign that we've been subjected to for 18 months. It wouldn't require all of these draconian, authoritarian, totalitarian measures that are being rolled out. If you look at the history of actual plagues, you know, uh, yes, there are all kinds of crazy responses and people go nuts and what have you. But the dynamic is completely different. Because no one needs pe- to be persuaded that there's a plague. No, if there's a plague no plague. because okay. no, because people are are living. They're they're not living the rollout of a, a, of a totalitarian system. They're not being exposed to messaging. You know, the messaging is dead people in the, in the right. street and overflowing hospitals and and so on. And all of the dynamics are different. You know, it, yes, the anger is an important data point, but but it it's completely different anger and and the whole the whole event is a completely different event. Yeah.
0: yeah. Well, um, and I just want to return to this with a little anecdote. Yeah. I was talking to a friend of mine when we were kids, one of the major pastimes was riding bikes in the neighborhood. There'd be packs of kids on their bikes and they'd get off their bikes and play a game of kickball and play a game of cops and robbers and get back on their bikes, you know, and just like classic suburbia. Um, one of their neighbor's kids were riding bikes in the neighborhood and another neighbor called CPS on them to get the kids um, taken away from their parents for having them outside unsupervised. And here again, like, yes, you are putting your kids at risk by allowing them to ride bikes outside unsupervised. Yes, like let's grant that premise. But is that how we should be making our decisions? I saw this in 2016, I think, or 2017, I wrote an article called Zika and the mentality of control because I was seeing, like they were like just waiting for something to happen that they could apply all of these technologies that they had that, that, that are ready and just waiting, you know, build a bomb, you wanna use it, you know? And, and one of my children was, there was supposed to be a school camp, camping trip basically which they canceled because there was, you know, one case of Zika in New England, you know, oh, we can't expose them to mosquitoes. And I, and again, I was like, uh-oh, the table is set for a dystopia. So this is not like all of a sudden coronavirus came along and everybody went crazy. This was baked into the cake and it's been like, it's like a, you know, a super cooled Solution that all it needs is a little touch to freeze up.
1: Yeah, it's. uh, I'm gonna plug my novel on your podcast. Yeah, please. Um, Yeah, I wrote it long before COVID, long before uh, any of this, Um, and it's 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 about a dystopian society, a a post-catastrophic dystopian corporate-controlled society. where basically there are, there are three classes of people. Yeah. There are the variant positive normals, right? Um, Basically they they have discovered antisocial disease, right? It's, it's a genetic flaw, you know, that has Mm -hmm. been baked into the human organism from the beginning and they're finally going to correct it. All right. And so there are these three classes of people, everyone over 30 is a variant positive normal, Right. And they all need constant medication you know, to to you know, counteract their aggressive tendencies. You know, everyone under 30 you know, is part of the clear generation right. and they've been genetically corrected. Yeah. So and, and basically they're, you know, uh, smiling sociopaths. Sounds great. Um, what,
0: what's dystopian about this? <laughs>
1: yeah. And and the third class of people are the antisocials. Yeah, the antisocial persons, they all live in giant quarantine zones. Uh, because you know they're they're uh, uh, pharmaceutically you know resistant and and what have you so they need to they need to all be quarantined it's it came from the whole book sprung out of this thing that i was just talking about it's it's you know walking into that garden looking at that other person and what do you see you know how are we approaching you know life how do we make sense of existence. And in the past, you know, different civilizations, different groups of people, different societies, they all had ways of dealing with death, right? Because at some point, you know, when we're children and we wake up, we realize death we're yeah. all gonna die right and so how do we respond to that and you know does this then become you know this horrible mistake that we need to you know somehow fix and correct and you know people get sick you know' oh, we need to fix this you know or or does it or is it a, a kind of relief it's like well we're all gonna die anyway so I, I guess I don't have to make that priority number one like you were saying you know safety third you know i guess the kids can go out and play and maybe enjoy themselves since you know and, and not make their entire experience on the playground about preventing their deaths you know maybe they could go out and enjoy themselves cuz they're going to die someday <laughs> anyway i'm not saying you know yeah like you said it's not like you know don't send them out to play with broken glass you right. know but but when we when we make our entire existence and society, when we organize it all around the possibility of sickness and death, you know, we've turned the world, we've turned reality into, you know, a big hospital. And, and, you know, this is what I mean when I talk about pathologized totalitarianism, right? You know, it's in the book, I refer to it as the pathologization of everything. Right, right, <laughs> medicalization of everything, yeah, I, I think of it as, as as pathologization, you know again, you know when, if you're dealing with you know dealing with kids and their behavior and rebellious behavior in school, you know one of one of, one of my favorite uh, diagnoses in in the DSM is you know oppositional defiance disorder, yeah you know it's, it's it we've created all these new diagnoses it's basically describing kids who you know are are pushing back against authority you know and it's and it it's so strange you know i'm 60 you're a few years younger than me when i grew up I, we were raised to question authority i was raised to question and and push back and not implicitly trust authority and today it's being pathologized right. as some sort of psychological disorder, you know? And, and medicated. And, and medicated. Just like in your novel, yeah. And, and, yes, and medicated. And, and anyway, I, the pathologization of increasing areas and aspects of society, it's disturbing to me politically, you know, it's, it, it makes me angry, it makes me wanna push back. But it's also just incredibly sad to me spiritually, because, you know, what are we if this is the way we look at our existence? You know, if we're so terrified, terrified of sickness and death that we're going that we're going to, you know, suck all of the joy and excitement out of life in in order to try to try to avoid sickness and death.
0: Yeah, I, th- I, I think that death phobia and death denial is really deep at the core of all this. Societies, cultures that had a different view of death as, as opposed to the total annihilation of the self that our culture presents it as, um, but, you know, who believed in a continued existence after death, you know, whether they were Christian or, or believed in reincarnation or whatever, or understood the self as not merely located in a separate flesh robot, but you know, understood a relational self. Like those cultures were not so obsessed with avoiding death. And instead it became a question of how do you live right? How do you live well? How do you, like that becomes more important. And and like that deep knowledge is still within us underneath the overlay of the story of separation, the separate self. Like no one actually is content maximizing their safety. We all understand that we're here for a purpose that is more important than keeping safe. Now, maybe it's good to keep safe in order to enact your purpose, but again, safety is third. It's not first. And and I think we all have that, that understanding and maybe our current times are, I know it's bringing a lot of people to a point where they do something brave, like the people who are defying mandates, employer mandates, risking losing their jobs, people who are speaking out, risking social ostracism, risking deplatforming, canceling, shaming. And these are non imaginary risks. People are losing their jobs. People are getting excluded from family reunions. People are getting their kids taken away from them. Like, this is happening now. And as we wrap up, I just want to put um, a salute to the people who are the brave people who are coming out of the woodwork everywhere and, and like enacting this truth that we're touching on, that the purpose of life is not risk minimization.
1: Yeah. Um, uh, amen is basically what I have, uh, to say to that. Um, I think, uh, I'll try not to go off on a long thing about this, but, you know, getting way back to where I started when I, I talking about the war on populism and the pushback and the big from people uh, to Globocap. I, I think a lot of that is, is, you know, I, I said, I have crazy faith in people. You know, I, I actually like people. We're, you know, we are, we are a, a, a big, you know, beautiful, ugly you know, wonderful, horrible. You know, peaceful, violent. Uh, you know, mess of an organism, and I love us. Um, and I don't think that we will tolerate the type of domination and control. I think that it's an essential part of us. You know, yes, it may win for a while, but eventually, eventually, we will we will throw off that yoke. You know I, and I think part of, of the populist uprising um, even though I might disagree with a lot of the folks that were uh, pushing it from from you know their perspectives um, there's been a lot of pushback against uh, what's happening right now and I started babbling again but it, it's my way of saying you know yes I have faith in us as people as human beings and I think we're seeing, a lot more of it right now, Charles, a lot of people who have been afraid to speak up, um, who have been quiet quieter, uh, have just been confused about what's going on, are starting to see things more clearly, and they're starting to speak up. They're starting to take action. They're starting to push back, and we desperately need it. I really feel like the autumn and the winter that's coming, uh, this is crunch time. Mm -hmm. You know, we need to throw a monkey wrench into this thing, or we're going to be in a really ugly place come next spring. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: Great. Well, thank you for uh, taking the time. Um, Look forward to sharing this with people and, uh, and
1: thank you for being brave with your writing. Same back at you. And thanks for, and thanks for having me on your podcast. Yeah. Cool.
0: This has been a new and ancient story with your host, Charles Eisenstein. I offer this podcast in the spirit of the gift, by which I mean that I don't withhold premium content for a price or put up paywalls or do affiliate marketing or have advertising or anything like that. Instead, I rely on supporters like you. If you would like to support it, you can subscribe at charleseisenstein.net for a small monthly amount, or you can subscribe for free as well. Either way, you get the same content, everything's the same and you'll be notified every time a new podcast comes out. Also on the site, you can find archived episodes, along with everything else that I produce, essays, books, videos, online courses. Thank you very much for listening, and I'll be with you again next time.